Good morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is John Cavell, and as it turns out, I'm one of the pastors here. So I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. This morning, as uh, Caleb mentioned earlier, we're kind of kicking off a new series uh, called At the Table, and we're going to really dig into what this whole communion bread and cup and all that's about. And you'll see why in a minute, but as I was getting ready for this, a story came to mind that I thought was kind of applies. You won't realize why it applies very early on, but eventually you will, or I've completely failed. (laughs) So about 12 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, um, I I was playing in a a band, played in a lot of bars and clubs and stuff around town, and uh, one night I was driving home. It was a Saturday night. I was driving back home, so it was two or three in the morning, and uh, it was on a, I'm not going to say which road in Scottsdale it was, but it was one with, I believe, an inappropriately low speed limit. And so I was on this road, and I may or may not have been exceeding this inappropriately low speed limit, but an officer felt I was. So he pulls me over. And he comes up and says, do you know why I pulled you over? And of course, I said, whatever, I don't know, something like, I'm not sure, officer, why? Um, <laughs> just better not to say that. But um, he says, well, drive, you know, license registration, please. And so um, I go for my license, which is in my back pocket in my wallet, but not tonight. So, okay. And I said, um, apparently I don't have my license with me. I thought I had my wallet and I don't have my wallet. He's like, registration. So I reach into the glove compartment, and I find the registration, and I hand it to him, and he says, I need proof of insurance as well. And I reach into the glove compartment to get that, and apparently it and my wallet did not accompany me that night somehow. So I just hand him the registration, and I said, I, I don't know where it is here. So he goes back to his car, and he comes back to me, and he says, um, this is a registration for a boat trailer. Well, so it is. Um, and so I dig through the glove compartment again, and I said, I, I'm sorry, that's all I have. I don't, I don't know what happened here. And he's looking at me like, could you be more of an idiot? You know? And so um, he goes, all right. Now, sitting next to me is a, a guy that was one of our roadies, and he is really a big guy and looks kind of mean. And he's staring, and I'm going, Oh, boy. Okay, no license, no registration, no proof of insurance, and a guy sitting next to me who looks like he could kill you with one hand if you just bug him a little bit. And that wasn't far from the truth, actually. Um, So the officer comes back to me, and he says, all right, I noticed you have a sticker on the back of your car that says, God rocks. (laughs) Yeah. I said, well, yeah, I I do. And he goes, do you want to explain that, what that means? And I said, well... (laughs) I'm a pastor of a church, and that's kind of our trademark thing that we do. And he goes, okay, so what you're telling me is you're playing in a band in a bar on Saturday night and speeding home, and then you're going to be in church in the morning. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I do that a lot, actually. And um, so he goes, all right. He goes, all right, pastor, I'm going to let you off. And he let me go. 
Now, it turns out the guy told me, sitting next to me, he goes, man, I'm really glad he didn't make us get out of the car. And I'm like, why? He goes, because I'm packing. <laughs> and I don't have a permit. So I'm going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, this, I don't know. I'm not going to say that was normal for my life at the time, but it wasn't far from it. Um, and so I told a friend of mine who was a police officer this whole story, and he goes, no way. And I said, yeah, way, totally. And he goes, that should not happen. And I said, okay, but it did. But it sh that, can't, that should not have happened at all, not even close. And I said, all right, but it did. <laughs> and you know, some things, things that sometimes, some things that shouldn't happen, happen. Sometimes, and I don't mean bad things, there's plenty of those, but we're not talking about that today. What I'm talking about is sometimes good things that shouldn't happen, happen anyway. God inviting us to his table shouldn't happen. I mean, there's no reason that God ought to do that. We don't deserve to be there, at least I don't. Nothing compels God to invite a bunch of people, many of whom really have no idea who he is, to come and sit at his table. Nothing compels him to do that. Nothing says he has to do it, but he does it. And some could argue, well, that shouldn't happen. God shouldn't do that. Maybe not, but he does. <laughs> but he does. And that's what I want to talk about today. That shouldn't happen, but it does. And so what is the table? Well, when we talk about the table, what I mean when I'm talking about it, I'm talking about coming to the table that represents so much of who God is and how he wants to work in our lives. The, the table is about God's love for every person created, every single one. Loving us not because we deserve it or because we're so lovable, but because he chooses to. Offering unlimited forgiveness for every sin ever committed by everyone who's ever lived. Because he chooses to. Giving people who, who accept his love and forgiveness, who say yes to those things. Offering the gift of eternal life. Knowing that when you take that last breath of oxygen, you'll be in heaven with God forever offering that. That's what the table represents. And for some, sometimes the table means becoming a child of God, becoming a follower of Christ, coming to the table to say yes to God's love, yes to God's forgiveness, yes to God's offer of eternity in heaven with him. That's what we mean when we're talking about the table. That's what we're talking about today. It's a total reset. We come to the table and we reset a couple of things. Number one, we reset our identity. We reset our identity. Up until I was about 19, 20 years old, I thought I was right side up. I thought I was basically doing life the way you're supposed to do life. So I pictured myself like this cup right here. 
But then I began to look into this whole thing about Jesus and a relationship with God and found out that even though I viewed myself as being right side up to God, what right, right side up to me was upside down to him. See, I thought I was right side up, but it turns out I'm upside down because God says what I think is upside down is actually right side up. And so he invites me to believe that even though I see myself as right side up, I'm actually upside down. And can I, by faith, accept that God says, look, what looks upside down to you is right side up to me. What's right side up to me looks upside down to you. So which one do you want to be, right side up or upside down? Does that make sense? (laughs) In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul is reflecting back on the words of Christ the night before he was crucified. And in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, doing this in remembrance of me, what he's speaking of is really starts playing into one's identity as a child of God. You see, this word remembrance doesn't just mean remember that something happened in the past. What it describes is remembering something that happened in the past that now creates an ongoing reality in your life. For example... Years ago, I graduated from high school, which was an accomplishment some people, including my parents, weren't sure I was going to accomplish. But I did. I graduated from high school. And so now, all these years later, I am a high school graduate. See, one thing that happened in the past is now a reality in my life every day. I continue each day to be a high school graduate. I don't have to go back and do it again and graduate again over and over. And that's what this is talking about, that Jesus says, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance. It was done in the past, but it serves to be an ongoing force or reality in our lives. And then he went on. In verse 25, he says, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, again, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, now this is again part of that reset. Every time we come to the table, every time we do the bread and the cup, we are saying, this is me. Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrifice, that's part of who I am. I have said yes to this. I don't just acknowledge it as something that happened in history but it's history that is present tense in my life every day. And so it's a reset of our identity. When we do this in remembrance of him, we're reflecting on how it has changed and is constantly changing our identity. So I have a social identity. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a software integrator, I'm a pastor, I'm a few things. But I also now have a spiritual identity. That I'm a child of God, who is loved unconditionally, not because I deserve it, 
not because I love unconditionally. I'm forgiven infinitely without limit. And I know where I'm going to spend forever. In eternity with God. And that has become a spiritual identity that now gives context to all my social identities. But it changes who we are and how we think. And you know, a few years ago, God confirmed that spiritual identity, identity to me in a couple of ways. Some of you know, not everybody, um, but I was really sick. I was in total kidney failure. I had a blood infection. And there was one point in ICU where I heard after the fact that they weren't sure I was going to ride home in a car. And you know, hearing about that and even going through all that, God blessed me with just daily confirmation that if I make it out of here or not, I'm going to be with him. And I never had to fear. I never doubted. And that's not because of anything inside of me. That's because I believed what God told me. That part of my identity was solid at a time when for some, it's not. But see, it's a reset of our identity. It reminds us. It resets our identity. And also, there's a reset when it comes to relationships. On the night he was betrayed, in John chapter 13, it tells that Jesus gathered the 12, his 12 inside group, later became known as apostles, and he's meeting with them in an upper room. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that He's going to be crucified the next day. They don't know it. But he gathers them together. And then he starts acting very strangely, at least in their minds. It says, he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Now, what he's doing is taking off the robe that he wore, in which they always saw him as they looked at him as their rabbi, as their teacher. He takes that off and wraps a towel around him, dressing himself like whoever is perceived as the lowliest position in a household, either the youngest child or lowliest slave or whatever that perception is. But he, in their eyes, suddenly he's dressing like a slave. And so you can imagine they're like, what is, what's going on here? Why is he doing this? Then it says, next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with a towel tied around him. Again, continuing this, this act of doing, you know, servant's work. So you can imagine, they're all just like, what is going on here? And so it goes on. It said, Jesus came to Simon Peter and said, well, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward you'll know. You will never wash my feet, ever, Peter said. Peter could sometimes be a little impulsive. Here's Jesus bending down to wash his feet, and he's going, oh, you will never wash my feet. Whatever. Peter said, he said this, Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. So Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus like, all right, dial it back there, Sparky. You know, I'm not giving you a bath. You're missing the point. 
here's, here's what I mean. This is what I'm talking about. It said, so if I, the Lord, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. That's his point. His point is, look, guys, if I can do this for you, you can do this for each other. Now, you've got to understand something about this group. These guys didn't have everything in common. They did share a few things in common. They were grown men. Some of them had families. They lived in the same geographical area. But then there were a lot of things that they didn't have in common. You had a very diverse group here. You had a couple of zealots who were basically freedom fighters, insurrectionists, who thought everybody ought to be enlisting in this effort to violently overthrow the Roman Empire. But not everybody was. You had at least one tax collector, and then you had some blue-collar guys. Tax collectors, nobody liked the tax collectors, especially people who were on the lower income side, like Peter, James, and John. Now, as it turns out, these guys were set up for conflict. Peter, James, and John are an interesting trio. See, James and John are introduced in the Gospels as called sons of thunder, which is a nice way of saying anger issues. <laughs> Peter is a guy that we see later on in the Gospels, actually the next day, um, who, could, who was not only impulsive verbally, but he could be impulsively violent. I mean, he lashed out and attacked a Roman centurion who was coming to arrest Jesus. And so it's interesting how, you know, sometimes in the gospel stories it talks about Jesus going off to go do something and he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And sometimes people go, oh, Peter, James, and John must have been really special because they got to go with Jesus and see special things. Well, that's one way to look at it. Maybe that was the case. But you also got to realize that if Jesus left the group, who was likely to get in a fight with a tax collector? <laughs> Two guys with anger issues and a guy that's known to draw his, his sword at a moment's notice. And so I think that maybe what was happening is that Jesus would go off and he'd be, the guys would all be, he'd go, okay, everybody, I'm going to go off and do something. I'll be right back. And he goes, and he looks at the group, and he says, Peter, James, and John licking their chops over here. And he goes, you three, you're coming with me. You know, it was kind of like, you remember when you're in grade school and you go on a field trip, and there was always that one kid who had to sit with the teacher on the bus up at the front because he was going to get in trouble, right? Well, that's Peter, James, and John. If Jesus leaves them alone, he's going to come back and go, all right, what happened? Why isn't everybody here? Why is Matthew dead? <laughs> and so he says something to them in verse 16. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You see, even in this church, we don't have everything in common. We don't all share the same demographics. We don't all share the same affiliations. We don't all share the same opinions. But here we are, and in a minute, we're going to share the bread and the cup. And Jesus said, 
slave is not greater than his master, messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you guys aren't greater than me, then if I can do this, you can too. And if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now let me ask you something. Would you like to be blessed? Okay, four of you would like to be blessed. I'll give you another chance. How many of you would like to be blessed by God? Dave, don't be shy. Some of you are like, I don't deserve it. I don't want to be blessed by God. We should talk later. Um, But if you want to be blessed, here's a promise. If you want to be blessed, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Guaranteed. You want to be blessed by God, here's a couple of things to do. View other people as people whom you can serve rather than to serve you. Factor that in as part of your identity and a reset on relationships. And you are blessed if you do them. In verse 34 of chapter 13 in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love one another. And I won't get into a big, long explanation, but that word love could also be replaced with the word value. Value each other. Love one another. Just as I've loved you, you must also love one another. Just as I've valued you, you must value one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love or value for one another. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus is saying, look, you want people to believe in me? Here's one way that will do that. When people see a difference in how God's children and followers of Christ treat each other, when they show value to one another, that will make Jesus real to others. Now, the thing is, if you don't do that, it doesn't mean you're not a child of God. It doesn't mean you're actually not a Christian. It just gives everybody else the right to not believe you are. Because if Jesus is saying, hey, people will know you're my disciples if you show love and value toward one another, then is the inverse also true? People will not know you're my disciples if you don't. And do we give people the right to think, well, they say they're a follower of Christ, but have you seen what they write on Facebook during an election year? Some of it's pretty mean. Some of it's pretty condescending. Insults, baseless accusations. And I have friends on Facebook who are Christ followers. I have friends on Facebook who are not. And I don't see any difference when it comes to that kind of stuff and that conversation. I would challenge you this year, be different. Show value toward people. Show love toward people. Give people a reason to believe that you are who you say you are. Don't give them a reason to wonder or to doubt.
You know, for the men, the men's conference is coming up. What a great opportunity to put this stuff into practice. It's easy to sign up. Just hit the direct and connect desk on your way out. But you know what? The table isn't just at church. It's, just not, it's not just something we do once a month at church or for four weeks in February. The table is wherever Jesus is at. Jesus even brought the table to the cross. When he was hanging on the cross, God in human flesh, he'd been betrayed, he'd been abandoned, he'd been falsely accused and unjustly convicted, tortured, beaten, hung on a cross. And then he says in Luke chapter 23, forgive them. They don't realize what they're doing. Had every reason to annihilate everybody around him. And instead, he forgave. And then as he hung there on that cross between two insurrectionists. It says they're thieves, but that was actually a colloquialism for freedom fighters who were known to steal from their countrymen to finance the violent overflow of the Roman government. That was the reason somebody got crucified. He didn't get crucified for being a burglar or a pickpocket. Because crucifixion was the Roman government's way of saying, here's what happens when you rebel against the empire. You'd be hung on a cross in public and die a slow, painful, torturous death. And one of those two guys on either side of Jesus is mocking Christ, but the other one says, Lord... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Hanging on a cross, that guy came to the table. <laughs> he came to the table, and he met Jesus. And if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christ follower or a child of God or a Christian, no problem. We're actually really feel very privileged that you came here. Because <laughs> we mean it when we say, wherever you've been, wherever you're going, you're welcome here. You really are. But maybe the table is the place where you begin with Jesus. Saying yes to his forgiveness. Saying yes to his love. Saying yes to his body and blood as a sacrifice for every sin of every person who's ever lived. Saying yes to a change of identity. Resetting everything so that now even your relationships with other people are different, are marked by different things, marked by selflessness and serving, loving and valuing. So just a takeaway that you can apply in a couple of minutes if you wish. Three things that we can do when we come to the table. First one is reflection. Back to that whole idea, do this in remembrance of me. Remembering, reflecting on this event in history that's happening every day in your heart. Next thing is confession. 
It doesn't mean, you know, admitting you broke the law. Confessing, confession, actually, it's a, it comes from a compound word in the original language, homologeo. It means to say the same thing, meaning God says, that was sin that I committed. And if God says it's sin, then it's sin. So sometimes it's coming and saying, all right, God, you know, <laughs> you've seen me, you've watched me, you've heard me. You know my words, thoughts, and deeds, and you know <laughs> what I'm bringing here. Laying it out there, calling it what it is. And then lastly, gratitude. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. So it's coming, right, coming to the table and coming away from the table with gratitude. Not any sense of entitlement, but gratitude. For everything God has done and everything God's doing and everything he desires to do in your life. God doesn't have to love us. I give him plenty of reasons not to. I've given him plenty of reasons not to. He doesn't have to forgive me. I've given him plenty of reasons to just go, all right, fine, that's you. I'm done with you. But he doesn't. He doesn't have to. There's times when I think he shouldn't, but he does. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy and grace, for your love and forgiveness. And God, I especially just want to pray for anyone who's, anyone sitting here who is thinking, maybe today's that day that I need to say yes to God. And maybe the table today is where they do it. God, if there's anyone sitting here today that they would just sense your invitation to be loved, forgiven, to be given security, that they would say yes to those things. God, thank you that you invite us to your table. You shouldn't, you don't need to, Nothing compels you, no one makes you, and yet you choose to. And all you ask is that we accept the gift that you offer. God, reset my identity, reset my relationships. And thank you. In Jesus' name.